Welcome to Tangible Assets for Tangible Results with Troy Eckert. This one-hour, information-packed program will give insight and specific details how investors can review, learn about, and consider different tangible asset classes for your portfolio. Array of topics, specific details, and critical tips to protect and build your wealth. Now, here is your host, Troy Eckert. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the show, everyone. It's a great day to be alive in the United States of America. You know what? I love starting these shows with a great attitude because there's nothing but positives going on in the markets today, and that generally puts a smile on most investors' faces. First off, let me remind you, the show is tangible assets for tangible results. What we're going to talk about is things that you can see, touch, kick, and feel. And of course, it's my personal belief in my personal career past that says things that are tangible that I can see, touch, kick, and feel to me have a greater substance and greater value because what I like to do is know what I own, how I own it where I own it, when I can buy it, how I can sell it, and all those things that come with natural components of tangible assets. Now, the show itself is all about trying to educate you, our listeners, and provide you information that can help you figure out a better way to make your investments, a better way you prepare for your uh, entire retirement portfolio, and just give you some information on topics and asset classes you may otherwise have very little information about, or at least you don't have the insight of the details of particular asset classes. Today is going to be a very fun day. We're talking about one of my favorite subjects, something I have 35 years of experience in. We're going to be talking about how to become America's best landlord. What does that mean? Well, it's not traditional real estate. It is real estate, but we're going to be talking about natural resources and mineral rights, specifically the oil and gas industry. Now, most listeners probably don't know this. In fact, I think most listeners are probably very much unaware the United States is one of the largest mineral rights providers to private ownership of anywhere in the world. In fact, we're one of the only countries, the only countries that allows private ownership of mineral rights that belong to individuals versus belonging to the government. So because of that, we have one of the most unique, one of the most opportune investment classes anywhere in the world. In fact, other investors outside the United States look to the United States saying, how can we own the mineral rights that belong to the natural resources in the U.S.? even if we're an outside investor. And they, in fact, can. They can buy it just like you and I. So this is going to be a fun show. We have a special guest in the show coming up in just a few minutes. And what I want to do is kind of set the tone for exactly what we'll be discussing. So that way you can get yourself wrapped around the fun, the information, and the topic that we're going to be discussing today. First off, let me just mention to everyone on the show, the idea for us is that, look, America is going through a modern-day gold rush, but probably 98% of the investors out there don't even know it's happening. It's kind of like I feel when I saw the uh, whole cryptocurrency taken off, you know, eight, nine, 10 years ago. I could hear about it. I, I had mention of it. I read articles about it, but I had no clue how to get involved in it. And quite frankly, because I had no background, I avoided it. I avoided it. I avoided it. Today, underneath your nose is one of the largest gold rushes when it comes to natural resources and real estate that has occurred in this country in probably 100 plus years. It's called the mineral right revolution, where you can now look at and buy oil and gas mineral rights under successful wells with major operators across 32 states in this country. In fact, most of you probably don't even know that there is about 1.7 million oil and gas wells in this country. In fact, there's only 32 states in the United States that has oil and gas that's being produced. The fact of the matter is, is that this country has and did in fact reach the status of the number one oil producer in the world as of March of last year. Man, oh man, you have no idea how that has changed this country. 
In 2008, this country saw oil prices skyrocket to $145 a barrel. There were 8 to 12 million royalty owners, mineral owners across the United States that were getting checks and revenue from the oil and gas sold under their mineral rights. It was already a very, very lucrative position to be in by owning mineral rights. But then came along revolutionary technology, exploration techniques, information that would allow the oil and gas industry to explode, and explode it did. There was a mantra back in one of the elections a good 12 years ago that said, drill, baby, drill. Well, along with that mantra came technology, technology, technology. And as a result, the entire game, the entire United States oil and gas industry changed overnight. How many of you participated in that change? Probably very few. How many of you realized the value and the opportunity that you might be staring at that could make you very, very wealthy or at least give you one tremendous asset in your portfolio? Remember, I'm not here to sell you mineral rights. I'm here to tell you about mineral rights. So don't get my enthusiasm as a sales pitch. I'm giving you enthusiasm because anytime I can recognize a growth market, a revolutionary change in a market as dynamic as the oil and gas industry in the United States, it's something we're talking about. It's exciting. And it's something you should listen to the details. Let me just put it in scope for you. All right. So here we are as a country with 330 million people. We normally consume on a given year pre-COVID-19 about 19 to 21 million barrels of oil a day, a day. That number continues to increase. No matter what happens with regard to all the other alternative fuels, the fact is hydrocarbons are our mainstay fuel source. It's in every single component of a Tesla car. It's in every single component of a windmill or a solar panel. The fact is, is it's here to stay. It's not going to go anywhere. So what we should do is take a consideration how we might partake in a complete revolutionary change in the oil and gas industry that took place starting about 15 years ago. There was a great deal of pressure put on the oil and gas industry to please find domestically additional oil and gas reserves to allow the U.S. to start providing its own consumption needs. We were consuming 17 or 18 million barrels a day back in 2007 and 8. We were down to 3.8 million barrels a day. By the way, I don't like giving a bunch of statistics. You may not even want to hear it. But I want to set the tone for what we're going to tell you right now about the opportunity that falls in front of you. When the industry felt like it was running out of oil and gas, thank goodness we had smart engineers and we had smart people in the oil and gas industry who learned how to open up a reservoir that we'd known had been there for decades. We knew these big shale formations contained a tremendous amount of hydrocarbon. We didn't know how to get it out. We simply, we were like the Wright brothers. We kept trying to fly the plane and we kept crashing and crashing and crashing. And our production output was falling more and more and more. And as a result, supply and demand pushed oil prices to record highs. In fact, natural gas hit record highs back in 2001 through 2004. We, the consumer, the American economy was suffering as a result of not having those energy sources. So through the evolution of frack technology, and horizontal drilling in the development of the shale basins and covering basically 30 states across the U.S., we changed as a country from one of the highest consumers of oil, but yet the lowest output, to by 2020, we became the number one crude oil producer in the world. And that's exactly why Saudi Arabia, OPEC, and Russia had to flood the market with oil to stop America's gain on its own energy independence because 67% of their economy is based on their ability to sell their crude oil to customers like the U.S. So when I take a look and I think about what we have today, today, what we have is we have a quiet storm 
The storm has been about investors starting to figure out, do you mean I can actually buy producing oil and gas mineral rights underneath major oil companies' wells? I can buy it from farmers and ranchers and people who have inherited these minerals after decades and decades of being passed through their family lineage? And the answer is yes. You now have a market that allows many hundreds of thousands of investors to be able to consider the opportunity of a lifetime to be able to invest in minerals. Now, how does that stack up against gold or silver or other natural resources? Well, each category of natural resources has its pros and cons. So I've invited a guest today that's going to help me walk through some of the nuances and some of the particulars about oil and gas mineral rights that may shed some light for you and I as to what we might be able to do to take advantage of this complete revolution. By the way, I'm going to set the scope of the size of the market for you, okay? First off, there's 1.7 million oil and gas wells in this country. Texas had 600,000 wells in the Permian Basin. So Texas is the number one producer, right? In addition to that, we now have revolutionized the location of all this oil and gas. And so now states that were not considered big oil and gas states are in fact leading the pack when it comes to natural gas and crude oil. In fact, Pennsylvania and Ohio are right at the top of the list because of the Marcellus Shale that's up in that particular part of the country. So people who never thought they would ever have a commercial oil or gas well on their property now are part of one of the largest natural gas deposits in the world that is making people incredibly wealthy who happened to own mineral rights passed down from their family, their grandfather, their father, et cetera. And they had no idea 12, 13 years ago that it would change their lives and create generational wealth for their families. Now, let's talk about exactly what we're going to do in, a, in this entire presentation or this entire podcast today. I say presentation because I always feel like I'm talking to people about investments. And so it makes my mind wrap around. I'm presenting facts and information about a sector you may have no clue about. And that's what excites me. That's why it's not the eight cups of coffee I had this morning. It's not the caffeine I had at lunch. It's the fact that I love what I do. And when I think about tangible assets, it brings me right to the cusp edge of saying, wake up, pay attention. This is an opportunity you should know about. All right. So the first thing I'm going to tell you is I have a special guest on board, and this is a gentleman that is uh, working for our mineral uh, mineral company. Our company is called Eckerd Land and Acquisition. Garrett Flowers, are you online with me, sir? Are you ready to talk about mineral rights? Yes, sir. Good to be here. Great deal. Well, let me introduce you. Let me tell you a little bit about Garrett. Garrett and I met about a year and a half ago, and Garrett has a long story career in the oil and gas industry, but he's done it from the side that is probably the most interesting side in that he gets to be a puzzle solver. He gets to be an explorer because he has been a landman who is responsible for locating, identifying, and procuring mineral rights all across the United States. He's worked for a major Fortune 500 company. He's got 12 years in the industry, and we as a company hired him about, I guess, a year ago. Seems like it's yesterday, but time does fly when you're having fun. And the main thing I would tell you about having Garrett today on board is that he has come from an industry that within the 12 years of his career has gone through massive changes when it comes to how mineral rights are perceived, who in fact owns and pursues those mineral rights, and most importantly is when you own a mineral right, you are the, the actual owner of all the oil and gas reserves in the ground. You simply need to find a tenant, a lessee, who's going to do all the work, spend all the money, and make sure that whatever is required to extract the oil and gas reserves from underneath your minerals can be done. Garrett, welcome to the show, and thank you for joining me today. Yes, of course. Uh, Garrett, give the audience a little bit about your background. I mean, you, you obviously work for a major Fortune 500 company. You started 12 years ago. 
basically, your career started right after the big crash of 2008 and 9 when oil took a big drop from its record high. Tell me what it was like uh, in 2008 and 9 when you got into the industry and, and you started looking around about being a landman and especially working for such a large company. Yeah, so I, um, I, I became... Um, I, I got on with Chesapeake Energy back. I guess it was a, it was around that time. It might have been '06 actually. And at the time, the uh, Barnett Shell was kind of a um, the up and coming play uh, down there in the Dallas Fort Worth area. And so I, I came on helping with the Barnett Shell um, play for Chesapeake. We would buy up large swaths of acreage and even uh, take down companies uh, so that we could drill up all around the air, airport down there. Um, I was part of uh, millions of dollars of uh, acquisitions and divestitures over my tenure there. Was there for 12 years, uh, part of uh, multiple large transactions, and from there I went to work for a full service land broker in Oklahoma, who um, took really for our clients were the, were the major oil and gas operators cradle to grave. So they want to drill well to us. Well, get it done, get us to the permit. So we do everything in between. So, all right. So let me ask you a question. You're cutting out just a little bit, but I know that it's technology these days is, is making it difficult. But I think the audience can still hear you. So sure. let me let me do a couple of things that I think is always kind of in the back of anybody's mind who's thinking about a particular industry or sector they've never been in before. So when most investors, most individuals not directly involved in oil and gas or have had any experience in mineral rights ownership it sounds like a daunting task to figure it out. And you hear about all the big names in the media. You hear about the Chesapeake's and the Exxon's and the Chevron's and you hear the collapses and the bankruptcies and you hear the, the great success stories. And, you know, you, now you have this big push for alternative energy and green energy. And so our industry, the oil and gas industry itself, generally is considered to be almost like taboo. Like, you know, unless you're in the club, you're never going to learn the rules of the club. So many investors, I'm talking 98% in my view of the investors, never ever delve into oil and gas investing directly because they think it's got too many rules and regs, or at least there's too many tricks of the trade. I have no chance of making successful investments in, in oil and gas mineral rights or any other type of direct interest in energy. Now, when you think about representing Chesapeake, Chesapeake's had a very storied uh, history from kind of rags to riches to back to rags to, you know, all kinds of, of issues with management, et cetera. And of course, the, the loss of the, of the previous CEO, uh, Aubrey McClendon. And what I would ask is this, as a young landman, when you were given a directive by a company of the magnitude of Chesapeake, and you say, look, here's an area, there's literally thousands and thousands of individual private landowners. These landowners own the surface and they own the minerals. They may not even know that they own minerals that are really loaded with natural gas or oil and natural gas or just oil. I want you to go out and try to figure out how to lease those minerals. So the way I see it, and I want you to clarify it is, you had a whole bunch of landlords, people who own the property, and the, you had a tenant, which is Chesapeake, saying, I want to lease the rights to develop your minerals. Let's go cut a transaction. What was it like for mineral owners to have somebody the size of Chesapeake if the door knocked and said, hey, I represent Chesapeake or one of its investing entities and we want to lease your minerals? Was it a, a great day for that mineral owner? Was it scary to him? What, what did mineral owners feel like when they got that, that uh, knock on the door? I think that, um, it, you know, certain ones, it, it was very exciting for them and they, they had, you know, more questions, you know, more of what's the plan? What's moving forward? What's the plan here? How many wells are you going to put here? What's, you know, 
are you are you going to one reservoir or two and um there are some that didn't even know they own minerals so you get into that where they say i own what excuse me i thought i just owned some surface i own these minerals and so um kind of the approach i took was an education approach i would sit down with them go through it and even chain it back because we already had the title so i'd show them hey here's how you got it they found that very helpful and interesting former you know family members that they were they deeded them their interest etc so um then you also had the sophisticated ones that um knew just a little bit about their minerals as it pertains to uh, royalty rates and bonuses and so if they knew the big the big dog chest peaks coming in they've heard stories about how much they would pay and i mean the stories were true so we would go in and um they would bid us up and say hey it's going to take x amount to get these minerals if you want them get them if not leave and so that that opens up a whole nother story though on the other end if they don't when you think about the mineral owners themselves, though, I mean, when you start knocking on doors or making phone calls or looking at court documents, finding out who owns the minerals, did mm-hmm. it surprise you how many people owned mineral rights that had no clue that they owned them? Because I've had that phone call before where somebody's called me and said, hey, Mr. Eckerd, you know, you own minerals over in Colorado on such and such legal description, this track of land. And my, my first response is, I do. And it the, the reality of it is, is there's, was it 5% of the market doesn't know they own minerals? Is it a higher percentage? And did it shock you that they didn't even know they owned the minerals? It did shock me. Um, You know, I would say it's around a 5% um, swath of the people that don't know they own. And a lot of times it comes from family, um, you know, on down the line, someone who has passed away and granted it to so-and-so who then passed away and granted it to, you know, 20 other people. I mean, that's kind of how it goes. And so they may not know they owned an acre or two. So it's exciting for them. And sometimes people see it as a way to, pay down expenses and debts. And so um, that's kind of what gets you in the door talking to these people is if, if, if they might need the money. But the trick here is as a mineral owner, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to sell to us. I mean, if you, if you just want checks every month, you can just sit back and wait and wait till it goes to the court and, and, and the force pooling. And then um, you can go fight it there if you want. So at the end of the day, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of information in the media right now because the, current uh, individual in the White House and his staff and his team have decided they want to put forward some executive orders talking about limiting drilling on federal and state lands or federal lands. They have put a moratorium on uh, permits. They put a moratorium on fracking on federal lands. And so when we talk about mineral rights, we're not talking federal and state. We're talking about private land, private mineral ownership. So it's not part of that whole executive order that, that the current president has put in place, correct? That is correct. Um, part of Eckerd and our uh, directive, that, you know, that's one of the first things we look at. We make sure that we're protected um, because we're investors in these as well. All right. And so let's, let's talk about that a little bit. So here I am. I'm, a, I'm Joe Blow. My grandfather owned 500 acres in the state of Oklahoma. Um, I, I know who the neighbors are. There's a thousand acre rancher to my left. There's a guy that had 400 acres. He split it between his four kids, 100 acres apiece. And they gave to their four kids. And so now everybody's down to, you know, whatever it is, 25 acres a piece. And he goes on and on and on. And, you know, there hasn't been a well drilled there in 20, 30 years, or maybe never had a well drilled there. And all of a sudden I get a knock on the door from a landman like yourself. How does a mineral owner ever get an idea about what a fair trade is? In other words, if I've never leased before, I've never sold my minerals before, how does any mineral owner even begin to get their head around what a mineral right transaction as a landlord leasing to a major oil company what is a fair lease bonus? What is a fair term? 
uh, can you just kind of give me an idea, you know, some suggestions that maybe some of our listeners could use as far as maybe mental ownership and how they might be able to start looking at what the market may be uh, as far as comparable terms that would be fair? Yeah, that I mean, that kind of pertains back to when I was at my previous job, I would have to go testify on forced pooling hearings, and we would have to provide a fair market value. And, you know, this is public data. They can go and look in different sections, townships and ranges right around where their minerals are located. They can find pooling orders and see what the market is for those. And it'll have the different royalty rates on there that they were to be pooled at. So really, that's a good start because that's, that's, you know, you can look at the Oklahoma Corporation Commission and find those uh, applications and see those numbers clear as day in those, in those orders. That's one way to go about it. And then furthermore, the, you know, the way we work is you know, we're constantly making offers and, and, and uh, acquiring minerals. So we have a really good mindset of what prices are going for. And, you know, I'm pretty proud that we, you know, we, we don't overpay. Um, but I also feel like we don't underpay. I, I do feel like we are fair and we are paying the, you know, the market value for those currently. There, there's not really like a, like a Zillow or a, any other type Correct. of site, like these real estate sites that somebody can just say, you know what, I own 20 acres in this county, in this state. I'd love to know what the market value is or the appraisal value or the previous sales. There, is there anything that exists right now for mental owners to go to to find out what the market is like in any particular geographical area at all? Not, not at all. There's, um, you know, you can go look at the, the, the Oklahoma land record site and see conveyances, but they do not have dollar amounts on them for the size of the transactions. So, so what we have, this is the last, last statistic that I heard. What I heard about six months ago during the whole debacle of the post-COVID demand drop and oil oversupply and blah, 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 and all the economic distress the energy went through. What I heard was that the oil and gas mineral rights market was estimated to be around $500 billion market, meaning that the minerals that were in known producing areas, if they were traded based on that current analysis, of course, there's a lot of variables that go on there, Garrett, but what they said, it was a $500 billion market. So do you think there's any other market out there that carries that kind of market potential that a simple participant in that market has nowhere to really go that is a source of value or trade terms or any kind of disclosure that would give them any direction whatsoever. I mean, I, what are your thoughts? Because I can't think of a single industry that would have anything like this. There's nothing. You're exactly right. To me, it, it is is a premier. It's a premier investment, and to be in oil and gas under these, you know, multi-million dollar wells, um, where they're, you know, they're spending that much money to drill and and to own something in those wells. To me, without any expenses or any liability or risk or um, risk of them being taken away from you either that, you know, they are yours. There's no glitch that can revert those minerals away from you. So we're, we're, we're looking at mineral rights and I want to make sure the listening audience is aware of this. So mineral rights are literally treated because they are as real estate. They're deeded entitled in the courthouse or the, or the County of record. They are of public information. So if they're properly recorded or if they're in fact deeded entitled, there are, they're, they're there for the whole world to see, hey, I own these mineral acres in this property. Does the mineral owner themselves, do they, do they find that there is any difficulty in looking at or owning minerals other than the fact it's a deeded piece of paper that says I own it? And one day when an oil company decides they want to drill in that area, they're going to go to the courthouse, pull the records and say, we got to start contacting the known owners of these mineral rights to procure a lease agreement or to get development rights through that lease agreement. Um, when you think about that, is, is that something that you think is 
unique in that we have a industry that is really kind of a under the ground kind of covert industry where nobody, I can see who owns the, the hundred acres and farm. And I know it's, you know, farmer Brown, right. But I have no clue if farmer Brown has sold that off to 50 different mineral owners because it's not visible. Right. That's correct. Yes. You, you own those minerals. Um, just to me, it is such a, it, it, it's such a, it's a premier investment for people to be in. And um, you know, the fact that it's, it's always been kind of a hidden thing and, and nobody has really known about it. And I really feel like today it's changing just because of the availability of educational data that's online. Um, and I, I feel like it's starting to come to light and people are starting to see, Hey, this is tangible. This is a hard asset. This is real estate, you know? Well, Garrett, we're going we're gonna to start getting ready to take on the back half of the show and I want to keep you around. So Garrett, please hang tight. What I'd like to do is I'd like to take the second half of the show and talk about what it really means in terms of opportunity and what it means in terms of value. Because obviously right now the stock market is booming. I think the Dow's up 600 points today. Oil's over $60 a barrel. Natural gas has been doing great. State of Texas about froze to death last week. So energy has definitely been in the news. And all these different investment products, all the stock market, where the dollar's trading, uh, what's going on with inflation, they're kind of all tied together. So when we come back in the second half of the show, what I want to do, Garrett, is talk to you about how some of these things are affecting what you see as the mineral market itself. In other words, what's happening out there on the ground day to day with mineral owners? Uh, we know that is, it's at various levels of mineral ownership. It's either in family trust, it's large private equity backed groups. We know that commodity prices play a big, big part of what's going to be the fair market price for a mineral at any given point in time. We know now that there is a tremendous amount of pressure coming from uh, pensions and investment groups and all types of institutional investors that are saying, we want to move away from hydrocarbons. We want to have an instruction to our financial advisors to move us into more uh, energy efficient, green energy type of investments and not be tied to hydrocarbons. So we have a lot to talk about in the second half. I want to get the audience geared up for this, though. I want to give you just a couple of things to think about when you come back here in a couple of minutes, and that is the following. This show is about tangible assets for tangible results. It wasn't just a name that was created. It's about what really has taken place in a 35-year career that I've been involved in. And what I've seen from all the dealings with all my successful million-dollar-plus clients and what I've seen through all the different business transactions I've had over the last three and a half decades is that when you own a pipeline, there's some physical component to it. When you own a, an oil well, there's a physical component to it. When you own mineral rights, there's physical components to it and there's deeds and records and, and you own it. Now, don't get me wrong. I love the stock market. I like investing in things that are publicly traded. And there are publicly traded mineral companies out there. There are people on the New York Stock Exchange that have mineral rights that you can invest in as a shareholder. But what we're talking about is something that is direct ownership where you, anybody can buy a mineral right. You do not have to be a million plus net worth investor. You can literally drive through Oklahoma, pull into a truck stop, go to the bathroom and on the pin board of the wall, it may say minerals for sale, $100 an acre. You can call and buy those just like you can buy a dog. So what I want to do is welcome you back in just a few minutes. This is Troy Eckerd. The show is Tangible Assets for Tangible Results. Call in. Let us know if you want to talk about something or share your thoughts. The number is 866-472-5790. Signing off until the back half of the hour. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency Podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answers Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. This is Tangible Assets for Tangible Results. To reach Troy Eckert or one of his guests on the live program, we invite you to call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or you can send an email to Eckert at EckertEnterprises.com. Now, back to the show. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome back to the show. This is Troy Eckert with Tangible Assets for Tangible Results. Thank you so much for joining us. The second half of the show is going to be all about learning how to look at mineral rights and possibly be a potential investor in this particular sector. Now, keep in mind, we have a guest with us, Garrett Flowers, who is the land department manager here at Eckerd Land and Acquisition. And we brought him on board because of his over 12 years experience and expertise working for large major companies in looking at buying, acquiring, and performing due diligence on literally a million plus acres of minerals across the United States. Before we get Garrett back into the Q&A section and start asking him more questions because he's providing us some great information, what I'd like to do is I'd like to tell you a slight story if I could. And this kind of has a lot to do with uh, investment strategy and investment ideas. And you'll probably find as you listen to my show that I'm the king of analogies. Everything to me, if I can't tell you something and give it to you in a description that you can visualize it and see it and understand it, then I think it's been way too complex. So let's talk about uh, looking at investments much like fishing. Um, you know, when I, I was younger, my uh, wife and I had a house on a lake down in South Texas. And it amazed me that uh, everybody had a, a boat dock. They had a, a boat slip. They had their own little dock area where they'd fish in. They'd park their boat there every night. And so I like to get up early in the morning. And I'd get up and I'd take my fishing pole. I'd walk out to the dock, get a cup of coffee. And, you know, I'm not a great fisherman. I just like the, uh, the concept of fishing, not necessarily 
really love the idea of fishing. I just like being out there in the open water. So I'd walk out to my dock, I'd grab my fishing line or my fishing pole, and I'd just crank that bad boy up, and I'd lean back and see, you know, I bet I can throw that thing 50, 60, 80 yards out in the water. So it was all about putting a heavy weight on it, seeing how far I could launch it, and then I'd start dragging that lure all the way back across the water back toward the dock. And I'd do this all the time. And then one morning, paying attention, I see this uh, $100,000 probably or more Ranger bass boat flying across the lake, comes up into my cove. And I see that boat coming strike toward the end of the cove where my house was. And I see this guy park his boat, get out, put his little trolling motor out. He's real quiet. He's real calm. Next thing you know, he's trolling right along about 30 yards out, maybe closer to every single boat dock that was along the, the uh, shoreline. And I see this guy chunk his lure basically underneath my dock. And out comes about a two pound big mouth bass directly underneath my feet. And I thought about that and it's stuck with me for years because here's what I thought. Investing is very much like that exact example. And that is, we always think about what is over the other side of the fence. What, what's it like to be buying uh, real estate in Virginia if I live in Texas? Or what's it like to own property in Colorado? What's it like to do raw land development in Ohio? And the reality of it is, you can probably find investments that are literally within five miles of your home. You can find raw lots to develop. You can find investment opportunities. You can find different things, but it's all underneath your feet. And so I've kind of kept that in the front of my mind, thinking to myself, you know, where do I need to be investing? I need to be investing in things that I understand. I need to be investing in things that I can see, touch, kick, and feel. I want to see it. If you tell me you have a, a grain elevator, I want to go out and see the grain elevator. If you tell me you have an oil well drilling in such and such county, I want to go out and see the drilling rig in the air. If you tell me you have a hotel that you want to sell, I want to go see that hotel and walk through it, and I want to know what it looks like. That is the purpose of the show, is to see it, touch it, kick it, and feel it. And when it comes to mineral rights, this is the interesting thing. Mineral rights are underneath your feet. Many of you listening right now today probably have no clue that literally the entire city of Dallas and Fort Worth, Texas, are sitting on one of the largest gas fields in the world called the Barnett Shale. You go down to South Texas and you have entire towns that are sitting on top of one of the most oil-rich basins that was discovered a decade ago called the Eagleford Shale. So all these small towns, 10, 20, 50,000 population towns are literally sitting on top of massive oil reserves. It's just a question, can you physically go drill that well and get that oil and gas out from underneath the city? I drilled a horizontal well back in, I believe, 1993 or 1994. And the, the oil well was going to be drilled vertically down about 9,000 feet. We were going to go sideways or horizontal, which was brand new. People were not really drilling horizontal wells in the early 90s, but I was. And that horizontal well was going to be drilled underneath the high school at about 7,500 feet below the surface, a mile and a half. It's going to drill under the high school, underneath the football field. And that whole scenario was just crazy to conceptualize that you could literally drill on the edge of town, underneath the high school, and underneath the football field. Well, guess who got the value of that well being drilled? The school district, because it was their mineral rights that they leased to allow the oil company I represent to go out and drill and produce and extract oil and gas from underneath those particular mineral rights. And that school district made millions of dollars off that well as a result of the success from that well. So when I talk about the fishing example, what I want to point out to you is the following. Many of you listening to this podcast, especially those that are here in the United States, especially those that are in part of the 32 states that have oil and gas. Don't be unaware and don't be uneducated the fact that when you go buy that 50 acres of land or that 40 acres of land on the north side of one of your towns, you better ask at the closing, who owns the mineral rights? 
It is an absolute key in the, in the city of Dallas and Fort Worth back in the 1990s, late 1990s, when the Barnett Shale horizontal drilling plague kicked off. There were entire subdivisions who ended up getting the mineral rights when they bought their homes that were then leased by major oil companies, and they all got their little half acre or one-fifth of an acre lot worth of oil and gas revenue every single month, and they have been for the last 20 years because they happened to own the mineral rights. In some cases, the developers were smarter and they kept all the mineral rights for themselves. So the homeowners didn't get the royalty because they bought the surface, but they didn't get the mineral rights with it. In other words, you can separate the two. You can keep the surface and sell off the mineral rights, or they can maintain as a single estate property. Now, we have a guest on the line with us, Garrett Flowers. Now, Garrett, are you still with us? Yes, Troy, I'm here. Perfect. So here's what I would like to, to cover this afternoon or the second half of the show. I say this afternoon, the second half of the show. I, I lose track of time because I'm all over different time zones. But what I want to talk about is the following. When we look at horizontal drilling, and of course, you've been, you've been looking at minerals your entire career for the last 12 years. What have you seen on the, the expiration side and what that means to potential mineral owners in terms of what might have been really good um, value and really good royalty payments and really good value for the minerals you own five, six, 10 years ago. What's that look like to you when you start looking at minerals from when you're first starting your career to today? What's that look like to you? To me, um, I, I believe it's changed drastically. Um, you know, for one, you, and we brought this up earlier, but the availability of educational data is so abundant online. Um, you can, you can research and find all kinds of forums and, and documents online to, to become more um, educated about it. But furthermore, something that I believe is true is in today's day and age, what's so different are the multiple pay zones. Um, you what, look that, at, what, is it, what does that mean for our audience, Garrett? What does multiple pay zones mean to a mineral owner, either somebody who owns minerals now or thinking about minerals? What does multiple pay zone mean? Because if you're not in the business, you have no clue what that means. Sure. So you have a strata, stratigraphic uh, equivalent when you go down into the earth and there are shell formations and, um, you know, all the way down as far as 15 to 20,000 feet. And there's certain zones in there that have a higher concentration of oil or natural gas that are economically viable to extract. Okay. And so, when, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I remember when I started, you would go and you would, um, you know, release a mineral owner. And you're basically targeting those mineral rights into one formation. Fast forward to today, there are multiple zones of potential for extraction, not just, not just um, economically, but they can be and will be extracted at some point. In Oklahoma, I've seen um, in the past couple of years, I have seen sections that have up to 14 wells in them, and they'll be seven from one formation and then seven from a second formation. And so for me, that reflects differently on, um, it's just for the mineral owner, it just that much more improves their, the value of their, their ownership. Well, let, let's talk about that because I think that's one thing that most uh, people that are not involved in the oil and gas industry have never looked at tangible assets like a mineral right where they get totally confused. So if I own the mineral right, how do I know it has oil and gas under it? How do I know, do I, do I go take that ticker, that little sticker on the bulletin board going to the bathroom and do I say, you know, that truck stop I gave as my example earlier in the first half of the show and I say, hey, guy selling 100, 100 acres at $100 an acre of mineral rights, it's in Oklahoma and surely it's got oil and gas under it, maybe one day I'll get lucky. It, what's really the conceptual idea of trying to buy mineral rights that truly have a real opportunity 
for producing oil and gas because essentially without oil and gas produced, my mineral rights not worth any more than I paid for it, even if that, because the only way I make money is when they sell oil and gas, right? That is true. That, that's where the uh, expertise has to come into play. The geologic expertise and um, all of the advances in the drilling and, and um, just being able to analyze all of that, that comes from your experts in the industry. Do you think the average investor out there would have a snowball's chance and you know where of ever finding a successful oil and gas mineralite, knowing what it has, producing, et cetera? Do you think it's just a shot in the dark or what's your thoughts about any of our listeners listening today saying, okay, I've got bits and pieces from Garrett and Troy. I'm going to go buy mineralites. I'm going to look at the Oklahoma land side. I'm going to look at ads in the paper. I'm going to look at people on these different mineral sites and say, yeah, I'm just going to take a crack and buy some minerals and cross my fingers. What's the chances they're going to end up with successful minerals at the right price? In your view, oh, in my view, it's it's very small because you know, as with any as with anything, you have to have some expertise in what you're buying. Um, it's the same thing with real estate. If you're going to buy somewhere, you have to have some expertise, and that's you know, in oil and gas, you've got your engineers and your geologists, and then your landman. And um, I think it's a collective effort on on where you buy, and it has to be extremely strategic if you want it to be uh, the most valuable. Let's, let's use uh, Bitcoin as a, as a current thought in my brain right now, which says, okay, here we got Bitcoin that five years ago, everybody's saying I can buy it for seven or 8,000 a coin. And today it's trading anywhere from 48,000 to 55,000. Elon Musk invested 1.4 billion and it's all over the board. We look at oil and gas, the sector itself. We were all doing great as an industry up until, you know, probably 24 months ago. And then here comes the flood of oil. And we went to negative $38 a barrel. What does that do to the mineral market when it comes to, great, you got seven wells in one zone, seven wells in another zone. You've got multiple buried formations with oil and gas in it. Are they economic? Are they viable? I guess that depends on the price of oil and gas. But what does that do to the mineral market? I mean, we're talking about a half a trillion dollar market. That's fantastic. How do I know how to play the game? How do I know when to buy minerals, when not to buy minerals? When is a good time? Is it better to buy last year? Or is it better to buy this year? Or is there always opportunity to buy minerals regardless of what's going on in the commodity price side of the business? What's your thoughts? I think commodity drives it. Um, I, I do think there are opportunities um, all the time, but um, there's just certain times where it, it's way better and more viable. In my opinion, um, 2020, into now is some of the most, um, I want to say it's, it's just been the best time to get into minerals and to, and to be able to buy because of prices. And then the mineral owners are seeing the prices and they're seeing their checks kind of, you know, getting a little bit lower. And so sometimes they may think, hey, if I can sell for multiples of my check, you know, get a three years pay up front, then maybe, maybe I'll go ahead and get out now. Now, being in the industry, we all know that these prices will rise. And as you predicted, it, it is rising and it will continue to rise the way we see it. So um, I just, I just think that it does affect the mineral owners um, and commodity prices are, are direct to that. How, how lucrative can mineral rights be? I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, you know, everybody wants to give you the downside. Oh, you can buy mineral rights. You can make a little bit of return. I've got relatives who have mineral rights in one of the biggest oil plays in the country. And they went from being very, very hardworking farmers or ranchers with two or 300 acres to, I believe in some of the cases, their, their, their cash flow in the last four years has been 20 to $30 million they made from their royalties off the minerals under that 300 acres. And again, I don't know the details. I just have made some assumptions based on what the wells have produced off their property. But I mean, going from 
scraping it out, working hard, doing your job for 20, 30 years. All of a sudden, the oil company knocks on the door and says, hey, you got a zone underneath you we want to go develop. Here's your lease bonus. Here's uh, the commitment we're going to make to go drill. And they go drill six, seven, eight wells. And all of a sudden, you're making a million dollars a month in revenue from royalty. What's your thoughts in general about uh, mineral ownership? I mean, if you're in the right field, right area, when you out when you're out talking and knocking on doors with these mineral owners, do you find that it's changed people's lives and that it's truly a generational wealth building type of an asset? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I do, and, and I've I've seen these stories. I, I've heard them. I've been a part of them, and uh, for me, they're they're exciting. Um, you know, for instance, you'll go out in the field, and this happened one time. You went out to lease 25 acres from a from a rancher, and he says, "Well." I'm only selling if you'll buy the 25 acres next door and the 25 acres on the other side and you have to give us, you know, um, a quarter royalty. Um, so I've seen those, those stories pay off and um, be able to, um, you know, provide them with, with a drastic amount of income um, and, and these stories. And it, I like it. I think it's great for mineral owners and great for people in general that have owned these uh, acres, you know, as long as they can remember, you know, passed down generationally. So, I think it's very, I think it's awesome to be honest with you. Well, you've been in the business for 12 years. I've been in the industry for going on 36 years. This coming May, I'll be 36 years in in my career in this industry. And I can tell you that I have never seen a more robust modern day gold rush than what I'm seeing in minerals. Now, the idea is when I look at the overall market, you know, I start to see the dollar rebound today. I start to see gold has taken a really bad hit the last 60 days. I see that we had oil prices probably are going to close out below $60 today. They were up to $63 a week ago. We see natural gas just all over the board from $1.65 per thousand cubic feet all the way up to, you know, $4 and some change. So when you have these radical movements in commodity prices, stock markets up 600 points, is there really any clarity where the oil and gas industry is headed over the next 12 months? Or is it just so much in flux because of the new administration, the new executive orders, such a radical change in the economy as a result of the uh, infusion of all the stimulus money. What's your feeling looking around or talking to, you know, the the different industry experts that you talk to day to day? What's your thoughts on, on what's going on in the oil and gas market today? You know, I, I am seeing a little bit of a, a move towards some of this green, um, you know, wind ener- energy and solar etc. Um, what I feel like it is doing to oil and gas prices um, is, is what we predicted is that it's, it's making them go up because it's, it's, it's dwindling supply and um, they're putting restrictions on, on fracking, etc. And so it's making the oil and gas that we are getting that much more valuable in this current market. At the end of the day, oil and gas is never going to go away. We need it daily. We need it for lots of things. Everything we do on a daily basis, we need oil and gas. And so I'm confident it's going to stay and it's going to, uh, I feel that the prices are going to um, go quite higher, to be honest. Garrett, I, I tell you what, I really appreciate you joining me on the show today. You had a lot of great insight. And I know that uh, from your position working in with land and mineral owners, I mean, you're on the front line. You're seeing what the market does. You're seeing what prices do. Um, I appreciate you your joining the show Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going, to, I'm going to help you get to a, a little bit more of a conclusion where I think we are in the mineral market from my perspective. Now, uh, my company as a whole has done millions of dollars worth of mineral acquisitions over the last 12, 18 months. Uh, we are actively engaged in the market itself. And so today's podcast was all about introducing you to another tangible asset that you could possibly consider investing in. 
Now, the idea is whether you decide to invest through a publicly traded equity that's on the New York Stock Exchange, whether you're investing through some private equity or some hedge funds and part of their portfolio is actually oil and gas, oil and gas mineral rights, or whether you decide to you know, hire a landman, go find your geologist and start digging into mineral rights. I think it doesn't really matter which way you go, but I want to tell each one of you, I, I've been in the oil and gas industry for a long, long time. I have drilled millions of foot of, of, of vertical wells and horizontal wells. I have been involved in well over a thousand oil wells. I've probably shot and acquired 3D seismic over 3 million acres uh, in, in acquisitions and seismic interpretation. And my point on all these numbers is not to pat myself on the back or to brag, but I'm going to tell you, one of the things that changed in this industry, in the oil and gas industry, that, that never even crossed my mind a decade ago, you now can go to expiration meetings. You can go to meetings with different oil companies, talking about where you're going to spend your money and how you're going to develop. And there's two key things that I've noticed that have been trademark signatures of changes in the oil and gas space in the last uh, 10 to 15 years. Number one, you don't hear the words, what's the probability of a dry hole? Horizontal drilling, drilling in these shale basins across 32 states or 30 states in the United States, because of the serendipity, because of the uniformity of these shale zones being like essentially buried Grand Canyons, oil and gas companies are not talking about, are we going to have a 60% success rate and 40% dry hole ratio? They're talking about what's our rate of return. It's literally becoming a fabrication manufacturing kind of a process. Drill the well complete the well, determine what your rate of return is based on prices of commodity prices, and of course, what it looks like as far as expense and expenses and extraction rate of how much oil and gas you get on a daily basis. So that, that all started changing about, about 2008 or nine when the whole main horizontal drilling kicked off across many of these shale basins. The second thing I've noticed, and I think it's somewhat a little bit skewed, but I've always had a joke my whole life because I've been in the oil and gas area. I said, look, there's only two people who can be wrong every day of the week and keep their jobs. That's a weatherman and a geologist. Because I don't know how many wells I've drilled standing there at three o'clock in the morning waiting for that well to come out with the results. And the geologist would look at me and say, you know, this is a geological success and an economic failure. I'm looking at him going, that's like saying you're the weatherman and you didn't predict the hurricane that's been on the map for 10 days, but you basically said, you know, I think it's going to turn south or east or west and it hits straight on where, where you live because they didn't know how to predict it correctly. Well, that's how the geological side of oil and gas has been. These geologists have taken a back seat to really engineering. It's not that there's not geological components. It's not that there's geology involved. But when you know you've got a basin that's, you know, 300 miles long and it's 200 miles wide, and you're going to drill thousands, tens of thousands of wells, and each well is going to encounter those buried formations underneath your minerals, it's not so much I need a geologist to tell me where the oil and gas is. I need really smart engineers who can tell me how to drill them better faster, cheaper, how we can make them more efficient when we stimulate that reservoir and bring those reserves to the surface. So it truly has becoming an engineering marvel. And, you know, I wish I had a screen to show you, but I can tell you wells that were drilled five, six years ago on minerals might generate, as an example, $5 million worth of revenue over seven years. Some of those same now zones and formations, they can extract the same amount of oil and gas and value in five or six months. So when you think about tangible investments, and you think about the things you can see, touch, kick, or feel, the question is, is that you really have to start asking yourself, what is it you're going to do with your portfolio? Now, I'm Troy Eckert. I'm the, I'm the CEO and manager of Eckert Enterprise. We are literally a 100% focused oil and gas company. The podcast I provide you is to invoke thinking, is to get you to start looking at areas that you might 
actually be able to adapt or put into your portfolio. When I think of mineral rights, I think of the following. Start doing your homework. Take a look online and find out where your top producing states are. You know, my dad and I used to go fishing as a kid. My dad, I loved him to death. I loved, I loved the way he loved to fish. But I swear, after every book he read, after every video he paid attention to, after every single show he watched, we'd go out trying to fish and we'd come home with absolutely no fish. So one day I'm out fishing with him. I said, hey, dad, you know what? Um, why don't we stop trying to guess where the fish are? Let's go over there where those other eight boats are reeling in fish after fish after fish. And let's drop our line in and let's join them. That's really what oil and gas minerals are about. Don't go look at states that don't have oil and gas. Don't go look at states that are on the bottom five states that produce oil and gas. Start looking online where the greatest, most successful minerals are, are currently being produced based on EIA information and other resources. But most importantly, ask yourself, are you the type of investor that wants to see, touch, kick, or feel the investments you want to own? If so, then you want to own mineral rights directly because you don't get much value when you buy them in a public stock or in a fund. You're, you're subject to the public stock market moving up and down, and that's not a true reflection of owning mineral rights themselves. All I know is, is that uh, this is a great opportunity. It is an evolving industry. It's a $500 billion market, has a lot of room to run. You can make your own mind up whether it's something you want to pursue. But as the show says, this is tangible assets for tangible results. There's nothing more tangible than owning mineral rights with major billion-dollar oil companies that are producing on your mineral rights. They're spending all the money, taking all the risk, and all you get is revenue every month in your royalty payment as a mineral. Troy Eckerd, the show is Tangible Assets for Tangible Results. If you ever need to get hold of me, you can call my office at 800-527-8895. The show will be on next Monday. It's on every Monday. And what you have to remember is, is that this is a podcast about you and about taking care of your interest in tangible assets. Signing off for today, Troy Eckerd. Thank you so much for joining me. Time, talent, and expertise. That is Tangible Assets for Tangible Results. Please join your host, Troy Eckert, every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Central Time, and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.